my lovely sister Evelyn this morning. She actually came up to me this morning outside and she says, uh, um, how's your week been? Has everything gone back to normal? Uh, to which my response was yes and no. And she was like, yeah. Yes, in the sense that getting back into the routine of things, getting back into the routine of life, getting back into the routine of, of what standard sort of daily practices that we do. But no, not to lose the enthusiasm, not to lose the taste of heaven that we partook of. As we go deeper into the word, as we go deeper in our relationships with each other, as we go deeper in that partnership that he shared about with Israel, as we go deeper in our faith and as we go deeper in our availability for Jesus Christ. And that was a great blessing to be at camp. And Jono shared on Wednesday night at prayer meeting how this, after finishing camp, felt a little bit different. It wasn't the usual sort of like uh, back into the humdrum of life. And I agreed with him. And it's something that we, as the people of God, choose to do, whether to keep going, whether to continue to nurture what God has convicted our hearts about and allow God to work within each of us and our circumstances. So it was a great blessing. Once again, a big thank you to Mike Piatangitama and his being able to come with his family and share with us the word of God. And thank you to everybody that came along to camp and for those who didn't, who prayed for us at camp, it was an amazing blessing. And so I'd just like to firstly, before I uh, get underway with this message, there's Auntie Sue and Uncle James. Hello everybody, hey, everyone wave to Uncle Sue and Uncle James. Okay, I just wanted to say hello. Um, it's, it's wonderful to have everybody here today. So we're gonna get a, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the word together. Let's go deeper together. For some of us, you may have heard of these lessons. They're called 11 Lessons Learned from Noah. Now, you may have actually looked at these before and, and seen them and thought, hey, this is really quite interesting. Uh, for some of you, this might be completely new. But as you look at these 11 lessons, for example, number one says, don't miss the boat. Don't miss the boat. We are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not a few weeks from now, today is the day of salvation. Now you look at number five, when it sits there and says, don't listen to critics, just get on with the job that needs to be done. The thing that strikes me as I look at that uh, lesson, I guess you could say, uh, Galatians chapter 1.10, where we are to be pleasers of Christ, not pleasers of of men, not listening to the human voices, but listening to the voice of God that's supposed to take priority. Or, or even rule number nine, when it says, when you're stressed, float a while. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. The amount of truths that can be discovered in the scriptures are innumerable, whether they be from individual verses, whether they be from cultural lessons, contextual lessons, character examples, or specific circumstances, as one delves deeper into the word of God, one gleans truths as the voice of God speaks to us through the word of God and brought to life by the spirit of God. So today, we are going to look at Noah over the next couple of weeks, and instead of looking at all 11 lessons, we're not going to do that. I want to look at two lessons, one lesson this week and one lesson next week because the week after, our brother Bob Mendelssohn, I put Ben up there, it's Bob Mendelssohn, uh, will be coming the week after. So we're going to look at not so much at what Noah did, but rather what a great God through Noah was able to accomplish. So if you want to bow your heads, let's open in a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the encouragements and the exhortations and the invitations to go deeper with you. And that it is with every moment of every day, you draw us to yourself. I pray now that by your spirit, you draw us now. Draw us into the truths and the riches that are found in your word. Draw us into your presence where we might dwell and find our comfort. Draw us into the power that your spirit provides. Draw us now, Lord, and challenge us where anything of, that is not of you will be done away with so we might be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Please speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 6. On the GCC announcement wall, I asked you to actually, in preparation for today's sermon, read through Genesis chapter 6. Because I'm not actually going to read the whole chapter. We're going to make our way through it, so I would encourage you to do that. Now, to provide a little context for you, the world, in the short time that it has been around, has descended into depravity. The initial desire of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 is now being lived out. Adam and Eve desired to live autonomously, meaning self-governing. They wanted to live a life separate from God, and now they are reaping the rewards of that choice. Humanity as a whole is reaping the rewards of that choice. We are told in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, that if you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. And that's what we see here taking place in the first few chapters of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, we're told of Cain's murder of Abel, but also of the grace of God manifest towards Cain, even for such a heinous, I like that word, that heinous crime of murder. Sorry, it's, I've never got to use it in anything before. Sorry. Anyway, so that's what we see in chapter 4. And then we read at the end of chapter 4 that at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord in chapter 4, verse 26. As we continue into chapter 5, we, we see, now remember, people are calling upon the name of the Lord, and we see a lineage, a family tree of Seth, who was the substitute for Abel, and whom the Messiah would come through. And so we read about their names, we read about who parented who, and about how long that they lived for. Now, I want you to bear in mind something here, and this is what happened, because I was actually reading through, as we were going deeper into the word at camp, I was reading through Genesis in my new LPB, my large print Bible, okay? and so as I was going through that, I started at Genesis and I worked through these things. And it's of note that as you get into chapter 6, this is the depraved world that it has regressed into. It was to remind ourselves about what our hearts are really, really like. Look at Adam and Eve. They had the perfect circumstance, the perfect situation. They had a loving parent. They had divine fellowship. They had all provisions made for them. And when given the choice, what did they want? They wanted what they wanted. They chose sin and selfishness over the love and graciousness of a good God. They chose to throw it away. And even though their descendants began to call upon the name of the Lord at the end of chapter 4, we see of, their, of, of how far this has fallen. Even though they would have heard the stories of great-great-granddad Adam and the paradise that he lost. When they heard about great-great-grandmother Eve and the choices that she made. When they see and sort of like, wow, look at the consequences that we're suffering now because of what had happened back then. But 
people being people and people desiring what they want, we'll see how they too decided to throw it all away. In Genesis chapter 6, we read of the state of the world in verses 1 and 2 and verses 4 and 5. We read of the warning God gives in verse 3, and we read of the action God will take in verses 7 through to 22. Now, if you did actually read through those chapters, or through chapter 6, you'll see things like how the sons of God came and they lay with the daughters of, with the daughters of men. You'll read about the Nephilim, the, the byproduct, the giants. And all. I'm not here to talk about that. Those aren't the lessons we're going to be looking at today. Okay? I have heard, though, many people make reference to verse 7 okay? about God repenting or regretting making man. It says this, So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Now, people have said this, that for God to have such thoughts or attitudes reveal that he isn't perfect because God changed his mind. Well, God repented. Well, that's what the word repent means. It means a change of mind. But let me just provide sort of a, a counter argument to this. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 17, I'm told that he does not change like shifting shadows. I read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Thus, when God changed his mind, he did not do so in a manner that, contradict his, that contradicted his holiness, his love, or his majesty. When we have regret, it's usually something we regret doing. God never regretted what he had done. It is like me as a parent looking at my kids and thinking, oh, actually the Hebrew word, it means to sigh. Sort of like, okay, that's the choice you made? All right then, let's work with it. When my kids make wrong choices, have I ever regretted having them? No, never. You're waiting for a, 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 a cheeky comment I was going to throw. I'm not, I'm not. I have never regretted having my children at all. Have I worked with them? Yes. It's like, okay, I look at my children, they made a bad choice. Okay, all right, let's brush that off. Let's carry on. That's essentially the heart of God here with his creation. Now, before you sit there and say, well, Joe, it's not like you're going to wipe your children out and start off with a whole set of new kids. Well, no, it's not. You know, if it's not okay for you to do that, why is it okay for God to do that? But we need to look at the greater context of the story, which is what we're going to look at today and next week. Thus we have, and this is the one lesson I want you to take away from today's message. You forget everything else that I'm speaking about. This is the one lesson you need to take away, that God is sovereign. That's it. Let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. That's it. That's it. That God is sovereign. That God is in charge. Jerry Bridges makes this quote. I like this quote. God is completely sovereign. Not partially. Not, not, not maybe just a little. He is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best, and in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. 
This is the lesson that I want us as the church, us as the people of God, us as the children of Jesus Christ, to understand that God is sovereign. In Joe Helg terms, in layman's terms, that God is God and he is boss. That God is God and he is boss. Let's start off in chapter six. We read firstly of the consequence of sin. Due to the actions taken by the sons of God that was against the God-ordained order which he set in place. We read in chapter 6 verse 3 that God's spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. This is a basic principle that you and I understand even in today's world. It's what we've experienced throughout our lives. You break a law there's a consequence. You transgress a rule, there's a penalty. You infringe upon a boundary, there is a retaliation or a pushing back. According to this verse, verse three, due to the perversion of humanity, the choices that humanity made, if you read in verse six, it says that every imagination of mankind was evil continually. That's how far the depravity had fallen in the days of Noah. Every thought, every imagination from the time you get up, think, yeah, I'm going to hurt somebody today. Yeah, I'm going to do something selfish today. Yeah, I'm going to look out for number one today. Yeah, all I'm going to be concerned about is me and mine, which is a pretty accurate representation of what the world seems to be going to this, this, in, in the 21st century. But this is what it was. In the 120 years, some people actually view it two ways. One, that humanity will no longer live for hundreds and hundreds of years, but now limited to 120. Or two, that it's 120 years until judgment falls upon humanity, until the flood actually comes. Now, because God is boss, he is the one, he is the only one to pass judgment He's the only one to determine what would happen and what is going to happen because he's the one who made it. He is sovereign. God is boss. He is in charge. Remember, he is boss and all things belong to him. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, that all belongs to him. Now, if he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we see that same thing, that same nature continued. According according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we read that the consequences or the wages of sin is death. We read how we, because of that sin, are dead in our trespasses and sin. And that brings to humanity the ultimate separation. Because what is death? That is a separation. Separation from God, separation from the ones we love, separation from life. That is what sin brings. It brings separation. And this then in turn leads for us to be physically dead as well. To be spiritually dead, which results in us being physically dead also. Thus, in God's position as boss, what does the Lord do? In Noah's day, he invites Noah to be a part of his plan, 
of salvation. He invites Noah to play a, a key role in delivering humanity from coming, from coming judgment. Remember, God is God and he is boss. So we're just going to touch on three things in connection to that, and to that reality. Look with me to verse 9. This is what I call walking with God. Reading from the CSB says this. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. I think it's important to emphasize here that Noah was appointed to this task not because he had qualities that deemed that, sorry, that God deemed as noteworthy, but because these qualities of righteousness, blamelessness, and faithfulness were qualities that had grown from Noah knowing God. God didn't look around and see someone and say, okay, I think, I think Joyce will be the one that I want to use. No, it was because Joyce knows God that God recognized those qualities. Because of that relationship, she knows God. Same thing here with Noah. I am of the mindset that God is the great initiator that we respond to. Because I'm told in the scriptures that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Romans 7.18. That light came into the world and I prefer darkness rather than light, according to John 3.19. Due to this fact, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's why. That's why. It's not a matter of me having anything to offer. Rather, God who, according to his sovereignty, utilizing and calling me to himself. And it's why, because God is God and he is boss, he always has his man or his woman to lead the way. He always has his man or his woman to represent himself. He always has his man or his woman to shine light in darkness. And you see this throughout the scriptures. Here, it's Noah. In, in famine, Joseph. In Egypt, Moses and Canaan, Joshua, in defeat, the judges, in defiance, the prophets, in sin and separation, Jesus Christ. He always provides the means by which we can be reconciled back to himself, which means this, which means this for a practical 21st century application, all right? If God is God and he is boss, he has his man and his woman to lead the way for others to know the salvation of God. In other words, the man and the woman that God is using today is you. The man and woman that God is using to shine a light in darkness is you. That you at school... You in the office, you in your neighborhood, you in your church, you in Bendigo. Hey, Mike, it is you. You are the man and the woman that God has separated unto himself to shine the, the love of God, to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to represent the reality of God's existence in whatever context you may find yourself in. I mean, if God is God and he is boss, if he can use a donkey to communicate his purposes or his warnings, if he can use the heavens to declare the glory of God and the earth to declare his, his handiwork, if he can cause rocks to cry out when people refuse to, then imagine what can he do, imagine what he could do with children, with sons and daughters that belong to him, that hear his voice, that are submitted to his spirit, and that are willing to obey regardless of 
of the cost. Imagine what you could do in reaching a lost world with his love. Those of you here or at home who have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good, that can take the salvation of Jesus Christ and reach a world that is without hope, that is completely, have complete misconceptions about the reality of Jesus Christ. That involves you and I actually walking. Mike used an illustration, and he referred to it as about taking the plunge. About taking the plunge. Now, the reason why that came about and he used me as an example at camp is because Chris and I, we went to the pool, and it was very cold. And Chris was down at the end of the pool by the stairs, and she was doing this. Ooh, ooh, so cold, so cold. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And I'm like, Chris! Don't, don't, just jump, man, just jump. And so I, 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 I you know, got ready, put my stuff in, and then I just ran, and the deep end, for those who don't know, the, the pool was two and a half meters deep. Great pool. And I just jumped. I just took the plunge. Was it cold? Yeah. Did it get warm? Later. <laughs> but here, this, this was the idea, because one of the questions in our discussion group was sort of like, what can you do to go deeper? What can you do in, in your marriage? What can you do in, in your home? And, and my answer was just, take the plunge. Just jump in. We know what God has called for us. We know the responsibilities we have as a church and we have as individuals. So you know what we need to do? Just take the plunge. Take the plunge and obey. Take the plunge and go deeper into his word. Take the plunge and be obedient in sharing the gospel. Just take the plunge. Just do it. I'm not promoting Nike or anything like that. But just take the plunge. Jump in. Don't, with our faith, no offense, Chris, don't, with our faith, stand on the edge and just go, ooh, ooh, I don't think, I, why? Because when we sit there and go, oh, then we start having second thoughts. Oh, I don't think I want to. I don't think I want to. We start to have second thoughts because we feel uncomfortable because it's, ooh, chilly. Take the plunge, get over and done with, and watch what God will do. You won't ever discover the fullness of God's promises if you're always on the edge. Take the plunge and watch what God will do. That's what it means to walk with him. Take the plunge, start walking, start obeying, start heeding. Take the plunge and walk with him. That's why Noah was able to be utilized by God because he walked with him. He took the plunge. But it's more than that, okay? Because it begins, once you take the plunge, goes into this, you start building. You build with God. And verses 14 through to 16. Because God is God and he is boss, like most bosses, they see things on a different level. They have the greater picture in mind. They have a, a different projection with how they view things. In their mind's eye, they see things that, that people maybe lower down don't see. You talk with Uncle Bill and with the business that he runs. You talk with Jim's, because Jim's heading up the job that he does. You talk with Pastor Ben as a teacher. He, they, they have a bigger picture in mind. 
in their minds, they see building taking place that will impact the future. There's an infrastructure that they set up for future benefit. In Noah's day, God tells Noah in verse 13 what the future impact will be because of man's sin. Um, read in verse 13 with me. It says, Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. So, in preparation for that judgment, for that impact, God says to Noah, what is needed, go for wood, how it will be, rooms covered inside and outside with pitch, and its dimensions to the foot outside in verse 15, and to the inch inside. Noah most probably didn't know the full extent of the task that was being undertaken, but he did so faithfully. Trusting, one, that God knew what was needed for what was to come, and two, that he is boss. He knew his position in relation to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God knew what was coming for us. And if we turned away from him and did what was right in our own eyes, judgment was in, in store for us punishment for the offenses I committed against him, that I was lost and destined for eternal damnation in hell. So what did God do? God sent his son to be our safe haven. God sent his son to be the ark of our salvation and to deliver us from the flood of God's wrath and condemnation for sin. Jesus, who was born of a virgin, God incarnate that dwelt among us and said that if we place our trust in him as God's son who died on the cross for our sins, we will rise again in victory. That we will be ascended on high for our benefit. And that he sent his spirit to dwell within us who have trusted in Christ to be forgiven of our sin and born again in his spirit. And God instituted all of this for us in Jesus Christ upon this one fact, that God is God and he is boss. That's it. That's it. Which means for this last point, what we bring for God. I want to read this. This is uh, verses 19 through to 22. And we read this. This is from the CSB. You are also to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything will come to you, I, I edited that just for a little bit, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Since God is God and he is boss, he instructs Noah what to take with him in this situation. Um, now, the two active verbs here, bring and take. And while we are not in the literal, I guess you say the literal career of building a physical ark, we have been entrusted with a privilege to bring before the Lord the lost. To bring before the Lord our lives. Our, our, our souls, our very beings. We are to direct people, including ourselves, to the person of Jesus Christ for not only for the salvation of sin, but victory over sin as well. To show others as a church the love of God and the victory that we have in him. 
My brother Fritz is a builder. My brother Fritz is a builder. And I don't know anything about building, like, properly. Oh, if, I, if I was actually going to work with him on a site, I would just follow his direction and follow his lead as his subordinate. So he'll sit there and say, because I can't build, say, Joe, go and get this. Joe. See, at the very least, what I can do is bring him in the materials. I need nails, Joe. Here you go, Fritz, here are the nails. I need some, uh, some two-by-fours or four-by-twos. Can you give me those? I'll, get, I'll bring him those. So I basically give to him the things that he needs so he can build the house that, that, that we're in, you know, the walls and the trusses, put up jib rock, all that sort of stuff. So I'll do what I can do. The limited amount I could do, I can do. Now, I was talking with Carissa about this while we're in the pool. So when she eventually jumped in, we were actually sitting there talking. And one of the things God really struck me with is this. Okay. Jesus Christ is the master builder. According to Matthew 16, we are told that he will build his church that the gates of hell will not stand against it. Okay, so if he is the master builder who has the bigger picture of what his church is supposed to be looking like, what is it that I can bring him? Materials. I'm told in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are living stones to build a spiritual house, to offer up with sacrifices to our God. That's why. So you know what I can bring to the Lord? Souls. I can take the gospel out to people and lead people with the love of Jesus to the Lord Jesus Christ, who then places him or her in the appropriate place as part of the church of God. What else can I bring to him? I can bring to him my life. I am told, I'm told that I can offer my life as a spiritual sacrifice according to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I can offer that up to him that he can take then and place because he is boss where he deems the best fit for me. I'm told in the scriptures that when they made altars back in the Old Testament, they were not allowed to chip away at the rocks that were presented. They had to take what was there and place it in the appropriate spot. Okay? They weren't allowed to shape it and to make it fit in any way. Why? Because that, I think, is a wonderful picture of what God does with us. How God takes you and we take Carrie as a teacher and the, and the gifts and abilities that she has. God can take her, place her in a school to show the love of Jesus. Bring her to this church and show the love of Jesus. Take her out into a community and show the love of Jesus the way she is or the way Terry is, or the way Eugene is, or Evelyn, or me. He takes us as we are, and he creates something beautiful out of it. Which means this, which means this. When you hold back, when you refuse to involve yourself in the lives of others or in the life and the function of this church, when you remove yourself from being a part of the church family, two things happen. One, you miss out. You miss out because God has gifted you in a particular way to bless others, and when you remove yourself from that and you fail to serve, like fail is the wrong word, but if you refuse to serve, well then you miss out because you will never get to experience the fullness of what God desires to bless you with because you've removed yourself from that aspect of it. 
So you do miss out. I'm told in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro above the earth. And he's looking for people. He's looking for people, looking for people in his church to reveal himself to, to reveal himself powerful to. That's what he's doing. He's looking now. You remove yourself from that, you've basically taken yourself out of selection. God wants to reveal so much to you, and you'd much rather just sit on the sidelines and say, no, that's okay. You take, take Ellie, Lord. Take Jim's. Take Jim's. I don't want to be a part of it. And then you get upset when you see God bless Ellie and bless Jim's of, of, of sharing the gospel, of enthusiasm, of joy in the Lord. And then you wonder, oh, man, why are Ellie and Jim's like that? Why? Because you pulled yourself out. Don't get upset you can't play the game when you haven't made yourself available to play. Okay? Two, I miss out because you're not being a part of it. So we played a lot of basketball at camp. And what's really cool, we're like, I really enjoyed involving myself with everybody and playing games or playing games with the kids. It was, it was a great blessing. And then you have people who was like, I want to play. I want to play. Shh, come on in, man. Come on in. See, when you don't play in the game, I miss out too. I miss out because... I don't get blessed by your friendship. I don't get blessed by your fellowship. I don't get blessed by your involvement in me either. So you don't miss, you, you miss out, but I miss out at all. We're called the body for a reason. The reason why we're called the body is because we need every single part of it involved for it to function properly. That's why we need each other. You read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, we refer to it. And they say, regardless of what you do, regarding what you bring or refuse to bring. This fact still remains. Regardless of whether you want to involve yourself or not, regardless if you want to put your hand up and be counted or take yourself out of the game and be ignored, regardless of that, this one fact remains. God is God and he is boss. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then he'll choose someone else. If you don't want to be a part of his work, then he'll say, okay, then I'm going to overlook you because you don't want to partake of all that I want to have. I'm going to give it to someone who has their hearts open, who have their hands open, who have laid their lives on the altar of sacrifice. Then that's what I'll do. Does he want to? No. But he's also not going to force you to do something that you don't want to do. And if you don't want to be a part of his work, if you don't want to be part of his plan, if you don't want to be part of his building, then I'm sorry. God will say, okay, I'll go to those people who have sacrificed, who have yielded their life to me in obedience. God is sovereign. God is God and he is boss. Whether people walk with him or walk away from him, whether you join him in building or sit on the, on, on the side of the building site and watch everybody else do the work, that whether you bring to materials or present yourself or you choose to remain on the work site and let other people do it, God is sovereign, and that will never change. God is God, and he is boss. Joni Erickson Tata has this wonderful quote. It says this, Real satisfaction comes not in understanding God's motives, but in understanding his character. And trusting in his promises and leaning on him and resting in him as the sovereign who knows what he is doing and does all things well. That is where 
our vision is to be. A reality that we need to meditate upon when we acknowledge this singular fact. That God is God and he is boss. And with that challenge, brothers and sisters, I'm going to invite the music team up and we're just going to close with one song. Once again, thank you very much, Ellie, for being open to doing this. And if you'd just like to be up standing, I'll close in prayer after that.
Father, as we stand in your presence now, we humble ourselves and look into your glorious face. Father, open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to receive you. Open our ears to hear you. And I pray that today we will take the plunge, that we will not stand on the sidelines, dabble our toes in, but rather we will drink of the fullness of your spirit, we will submit in obedience to the call you have placed on our lives. And Father, that we might walk in humility, that we might walk in submission, that we might walk in obedience to your word. Father, we need your help to do so. We commit ourselves to you now as our God, as our Father, as our King. Have your way with us now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody at home. God bless. Take the plunge.